Have you ever gotten attached to something and because you got attached to it, you overpaid for it? Maybe it was your spouse, right? <laughs> you went car shopping. It's like, hey, don't get too attached to this. But I think, I mean, let, let's be honest. Well, no, I know none of us have done that, right? Right. None of us have never done that. None of us have ever gotten attached to something. And then because we got attached to it, then we overpaid for it. <laughs> so we're going to kind of talk about that today. But before we kind of jump into that and make those dots connect, hopefully we can make them connect because that's the goal uh, is to make those connect. But we are at the end of this series called Obey. And like I said last week, now we get to disobey after this week because it's all done. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you don't do that, but hopefully you have changed your whole perspective of what it means to obey, especially since what we talked about last week. I mean, last week to me was so powerful about the sacrifice and, um, you know, uh, the substitute and the sacrifice, and, and, I, and I hope that that really resonated with you. So today as we wrap up, we're going we're gonna, to, I, I just want to, let me, let's just jump in. We're going to jump in by talking about, we're going to kind of talk about Moses here in just a few moments, but you know, this whole story, we've been looking at some uh, uh, stories in the Old Testament, especially, you know, we started off in the garden with Adam and Eve, and then we uh, talking about obedience and how we, you know, we, obedience sometimes is, is looked at as negativity, but really we're seeing that, no, it brings happiness because God is trying to protect us like he was Adam and Eve. It wasn't like, hey, I'm trying to kill you, kill you of your joy and steal your joy and all that stuff. But instead, I'm trying to bring you happiness because what you're going to do, disobedience, is literally going to bring you suffering upon yourself. It's not what I'm, it's you're going to bring suffering upon yourself. And so obedience equals happiness. And, you know, we talk about trust plus obey equals faithfulness. And um, so this week, you know, as we continue to look at another story, uh, we're going to look at Moses. But as we as we just reflect very quickly on Abraham, you know, God told Abraham that his descendants would become as numerous as the star in the sky, stars in the sky, and they would be blessed, and that the whole world would be blessed through them. And then, and then we, if we continue to track on with this promise, this covenant, this story, the blessing was carried forward through Abraham's son Isaac, who was spared, right? He was spared from that sacrifice. He was, uh, they, they, there was a ram there as a substitute. And, and then Isaac's grandson, ja or Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Um, the, and, the, and then we see this promise to bless the world continuing through the life of Joseph and on through generations of Israelites all the way up to Moses. Okay, and if you were with us as we went through the story, we tracked along this. Okay, that's what we tracked along. And so, as we're but as we get to Moses, so everything's going kind of good in a sense. But when we get to Moses, the people of God aren't feeling too blessed at this point in time, are they? In fact, it's it's uh, they're in uh, they're being oppressed by the Egyptians. They're enslaved and. Uh, when it looks like that Moses was not going to amount to, to much, because if you remember the story, you remember Moses uh, killing the Egyptian because the Egyptian was beating on a Hebrew, which is which hit, which was his people, and so then they get in a Moses gets in a fight with the Egyptian to save the Hebrew, and then that goes south. He kills the Egyptian, and then he runs and off for forty years. So anyhow, it just kind of looks like that maybe this things falling apart again, but yet it doesn't. God raises Moses up as a leader, and Moses leads the people out of slavery. 
All right. And, and he leads them out of slavery, but he leads them out of Egypt and he leads them to the promised land in which God had promised them. And along the way, there's a lot of stuff that happens, a lot of good things, a lot of bad things, but a lot of stuff's happening. And it's this long journey. And as they're in the promise or as they're in this area, the wilderness, uh, they're, they, they're there for like 40 years. OK, but where we're going to take a look at is because Moses never got to go into the promised land. Okay, that was Joshua and Caleb. But Moses never got to go into the promised land. And so, but yet at the end of the at the end of Moses' life, he delivers this sermon that is incredible. And it's reminding the people to remember. Remember, remember, remember. So he knows that they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, and it's his farewell speech. And he knows that he isn't going to be he isn't going to be the one leading them into the promised land. So he stands up and he delivers this incredible speech or this sermon or whatever you want to call it. Moses says in Deuteronomy five one, Moses summoned all of Israel and he said this: Hear Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. You know. The, the Ten Commandments, God's laws, God's laws. And he goes on, he says, These are the commands, the decrees and laws of the Lord your God. Direct me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you and your children and their children after them fear the Lord your God so long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now, did you catch that? Did you catch what it said? It said, so that you may have a long life, right? So that you may have a long life. Do these things. Obey. Follow God's commands. Why? So that you may have a long, blessed life. You may have life. So as we've been going through this whole series of Obey, we've been talking, again, talking about how, and I just said it a few minutes ago, how obedience sometimes can be looked at as a negative from a negative perspective, but if, but hopefully we're looking at it vastly different because God wants to give us life. God wants to give us life to the fullest, and that comes by following Him, following His commands, following His ways. And it's not negative, it's not sucking the joy out of things, but it's, do, but it's going this route, and because we go this route, we're, we're going to find fulfillment. We're going to find life and peace and joy. And it's not about... It's not about cleaning up your own act and making you more religious or more of a religious Christian or more of a religious person. It's not that whatsoever. It's about having life. Follow these commands so that you will live a long, blessed life. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full in John 10, 10. God's commands are intended to lead us to li into life, lead us to life and life to the full. So Moses gives that kind of uh, preamble that, it, that, you know, then he really cranks up the intensity here. And he says this in verses four and five, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And he says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This is what we call the Shema, or scholars call the Shema. S-H-E-M-A-H is how you pronounce it, the Shema. And every Israelite, every Israelite was required to recite the Shema twice a day. The first thing when they got up in the morning and the last thing they did at night before they went to bed. Every child was taught the Shema when they first began to speak. When a martyr went uh, to their death, to his or her death, the Shema was their final words before dying. And this, the Lord our God is one, is not just some theological jargon or theological statement, but, and it's not, it's, it's not most just saying, hey, remember you're, you know, that you're a monotheist. It's, it goes so much deeper than that. It says, essentially, that you're going to run into all kinds of different situations in life. And it may seem that God isn't really the only God, but God is one. God is the only one. And this is what I think is really something that we need to really latch on to is this. Moses doesn't say, believe that there is one God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength. That's not what Moses said. Moses didn't stand up and said, hey, you've got to believe that there is one God and believe in that with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's not what Moses said. But what he said was, love God. Love God. Isn't there a difference? There's no way you'll convince me that there's not a difference. James tells us that the Satan and the demons believe in a God, and they shudder. They believe in Him, but they don't love Him. Moses says, love God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and make sure that you teach your kids to do the same. Jesus comes, and He says the same thing that Moses says. What Moses is saying about obedience is kind of this uh, foreshadowing of Jesus' statement too, found in John 14, verse, uh, verse 15, and, it sa- and where Jesus says, if you love me, you'll what? You will obey my commandments. So what Moses is kind of saying is exactly what Jesus is saying. If you love me, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Moses is not saying, believe me. Jesus isn't even saying, believe me. He's saying, if you love me, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You know, I, I get that, and, and I, I, this is an understatement, you know, obviously, but I think we've all had people in our lives from one time or the other that, that try to manipulate us, that try to manipulate us to do things, whether they're right things or wrong things, but they try to manipulate us by saying, if you love me, you will do this. I get that. But this is not what Jesus is doing. There's no way Jesus is trying to manipulate anybody. That's not how Jesus functioned. That is not how Jesus function. It goes way beyond that. Way beyond that. We talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer a couple different times. and um, If you recall, Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany, Nazi Germany, and he was arrested for his role in the plot to take out, to kill Hitler, to assassinate Hitler or overthrow Hitler. However, assassinate, overthrow, whatever. He was part of that, and he, and part of a plot, and he got arrested for that. 
But he believed that that is what God called him to do. And he was held in a concentration camp and he was executed two weeks before U.S. soldiers liberated that part of Germany. But before he was executed or paid the price, if we could say, for his obedience, he made this statement. Listen to what he says. He says, when we are summoned to follow Christ, we are summoned to exclusive attachment to his person. If you read the book, Cost of Discipleship, excuse me, that is in there. Let me read that one more time. When we are summoned to follow Christ, we are summoned to exclusive attachment to his person. You see, that's what Jesus is talking about. When he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Exclusive, ta- exclusive attachment to the person of Jesus. Now we're going back to my illustration at the beginning of the, the teaching, right? Have you ever loved something so much that you, over, that you paid more for it? You got exclusively attached to it. That's what this is. This exclusive attachment. It's not talking about just believing in Jesus, about going to church and hearing about Jesus, about checking things off and doing this or doing that, becoming religious and uh, trying to change yourself and all this other stuff. That is not what it's talking about whatsoever. It's talking about being exclusively attached to Jesus. Where Moses said, loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, is the direction of our lives. Sure, God wants us to obey so that we can have life and have it to the fullest so that it may go well for us. But even more than that, can't you see that God wants us to obey as a matter of exclusive attachment? Do you see the difference? Where one way it's about us having life to the fullest and in another way, it's about us obeying because we, are, we, because we desire to be ex- exclusively attached to God himself. I know there's a lot of things about God that we don't understand. There are a lot of times when we pray for healing and our prayers don't go the way we desire. And we know that God has the power to heal. We know that God has the power to change something. When something happens to someone horrific, and we think, why didn't God stop that? You know, and, and, and those thoughts are human, aren't they? Aren't those thoughts generated from a finite mind where we're thinking about the infinite? And some people really struggle with those things. And I get it. I understand it to some degree. But I tell you, I think the one thing that we can all understand about God is this concept of exclusive attachment. That is the desire of God. We may not understand a lot of other things about God, but I think we could all come to the agreement that what God wants from each and every one of us is this exclusive attachment to Him. Moses said it, Jesus said it, and obeying is all about it. But here's the deal. When we start obeying, sometimes, again, if we could go back to it, it seems as if it can be burdensome, like God's commands are burdensome. But yet John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, he says, this is love for God to keep His commands, and His commands are what? They're not burdensome. The problem is, I think, you know, and again, you can agree with me, we're all humans here. I, hope, I think, <laughs> last time I checked, we're all humans here. And I think at times we do, and we do feel like that some of God's commands are burdensome for us. 
When we need to make a, a certain decision within our life, and it's going to hurt, it's going to come at a high cost, it's, we got to choose between this or what God wants within our lives. And right there in the crux of that, in the fork of that road, we look at it and we feel like this is burdensome. His commands are burdensome because this is what I want, because this is what I think will make me happy. But that's not what God wants for us. And so I think we could all say that at some point in time in our lives, maybe even now, we struggle with this thought or this feeling that God's commands are burdensome. But maybe the problem is that we don't, we don't understand what that word burdensome really means. Because, because not burdensome, when it says in the scripture, not burdensome, what it really means is not difficult. His commands are not difficult. Not burdensome means His commands don't weigh us down. They don't crush us like some huge burden laid on our back. Now again, I get it. There's times where I want what I want and His commands do feel burdensome and heavy. But that's not real. That's not truth. God wants to bless us through obedience. He wants us to be exclusively attached to Him through obedience. And God's not some egotistical God either. Let's, I, don't, I don't think we can get down that path either where, where because it does sound kind of demanding. You've got to do it all my way. And we, you, know, you even hear that in people that don't want to believe in God. But let's be honest. It does. It, 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 it can sound like that, possibly, that he's demanding or egotistical, but it's, but it's not. Because it's the same person who said, this is love, in 1 John 4.10, this is love for God that we obey His commands. This is love that we loved God. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Did you catch that? I, what I was saying was, it seems as if at times... It could seem as if God is demanding and somewhat egotistical that we have to do everything His way. But it's, but it's not because this, it's the same person, it's the same person that loved us before we could even love Him. It's the same person that loved us before we could even love Him, sending a sacrifice. His Son is a sacrifice to take away our sins, which we talked about last week. You see, this exclusive attachment is, it equates loving Him back. That's what it equates. Following His commands, becoming exclusively attached to Jesus, to God Himself. This whole exclusive attachment thing is about God loves me and obeying Him is the best way that I can love him back. And it's not a matter that if we obey God, or it's not a matter that if we don't obey God, that He's going to love us less. And if you do obey God, He will love you more. Actually, it's the other way around, if you think about it. When I obey God more, and when I'm obeying because He first loved me, I love Him more. I love Him more. There's a guy by the name of... Uh, I came across this illustration and that was excellent. There was a guy by the name, there was a guy by the name, you may have heard about him, Robertson McQuilkin. And Robertson McQuil McQuilkin for years had dreamed of being the president 
of a particular college, Columbia College. And one of the reasons why he, this was like his passion and his dream to become the president of Columbia College is because his father had been the president of Columbia College as well. And he, loves, he loved his dad, and his dad loved his school so much and the mission of his school that it became uh, Robertson's dream as well. And one day, Robertson's dream became reality, and he became the president of one of the most premier colleges, maybe we could say, in the country. But after many years, something horrific took place, and his wife, Muriel, began to show symptoms of Alzheimer's. And it continued to progress, and as this disease, this incurable disease began to continue to progress, she didn't even really recognize her husband, but yet at the same time, there was this deep, deep bond. This deep, deep bond. You get where I'm coming from. And she'd become beside herself when he wasn't around. And what McQuilkin chose to do was to resign as president of the college. And he walked away from a lifelong dream to care for his wife. What's, and what's really interesting is that many people that he trusted, many godly people that he trusted, really struggled with this. And they said, this is no ordinary job. And I, I quote this. This is no ordinary job. This is your dream. This is serving God. This is God's calling on your life. And your wife, bless her heart, doesn't even know you are, doesn't even know who you are anymore. So it's okay for someone else to care for her so you can stay on as president of the college. McQuilkin understood what people were saying but what he didn't understand is that when he went ahead and he resigned and took care of his wife, he couldn't understand why he got so much credit for it. He couldn't understand that. He, he couldn't understand how people applauded his decision. But this is his statement, and this is what he says. It was an easy call. She loved me like she did. It was the least I could do for her. Does that sound like exclusive attachment? Sure does to me. Sure does to me in a certain way, but a deeper level, at a much, much deeper level. I think this story is, is, illustrates what we're talking about so well, but if we could take this at a much, much deeper level, a much, much deeper level, this, this story causes us to look. It, it, I think it ushers us into a position to look at the way God loves us. That, that, that it's not that, I that we loved Him first, but that He loved us first and He gave His Son for us. The question is, when did God do that? When did God start? When did God become so personally attached to us? When did God become so exclusively attached to us? He's the one that initiated this. He is the one that started this, that propagated this. He is the one, not us. He is the one. He is the one. When Jesus was born and lived and died and went to the grave, was He overpaying for us? If we could go back to our illustration, becoming so attached to something, you're going to overpay for it? So 
it's so fascinating to think about. And not just fascinating, but it's so profound. It's so heart. I mean, it's so, it just penetrates our hearts. And as we get down to it, we, I guess we kind of, the, the, the words of Moses kind of, kind of ring out in our minds once again. And if Moses, you know, maybe if Jesus was here and he was quoting the words of Moses or standing kind of saying the same thing to us today, maybe he would say, you know what, when you, get right down, when you get right down to it, there's only one God. There's only one who made you. There is only one who thought of you. Uh, thought of you. There is only one who loved you and He has loved you. No man has ever loved you. No woman has ever loved you like, like this. He loves you more than anything else. He wants you to be exclusively attached to Him. Just like Moses said, Jesus saying the same thing. There is only one God and He loves you so deeply loves you so deeply, there's no one else that can love you like God loves you. And He wants you to be exclusively attached to Him. And here's the deal, and you and I both know this, when we become so exclusively attached to Jesus, just like Robertson, you know, that illustration, that story of Robertson McQuilkin, how could I, the way my wife loved me, how could I make any other decision? When we look at God, when we look at God and the love that God displays us, aren't we forced to ask that same question? What other response is there? And here's the deal. When we become exclusively attached to Him, His commands are not burdensome. His commands are not burdensome. They may be hard at times, but they don't weigh us down. In fact, they bring us life, right? They can be difficult at times. I get it. They can be difficult at times. I understand that. But whatever He commands, He empowers. And obeying God not only lifts us up, it's the main way that we demonstrate our love and show our love back to Him. This is love for God, that we obey His commands. That we obey His commands. I think today is a fork in the road for many of us. Are we exclusively attached to Jesus? Are we exclusively attached to Him where we, where we are all about trusting and obeying? Does that, artic does that describe our lives? Does that describe your life? And here in the next few moments, we're going to close and we're going to have, we're going to close out with a song. And I pray that you would use this time to allow the power of His Spirit to just weigh on you, to answer that question for you. Am I exclusively attached to Jesus? And, and if I'm not, and if you're not, maybe today's the day that we surrender to Him once again and show Him how much we love Him. And it exclusively attach ourselves to Him. Exclusively attach ourselves to the person of Jesus. Amen.